Welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 153. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by the millionaire next door himself, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. I'm not sure if I can take that attribute quite yet, (laughs) but I'm hoping as we near the end of our financial and money series on the Moonshots show, maybe I'm picking up the right tips, the right habits, the right practices, as well as the right mindsets in order to try and achieve that title. So give me time. I'm getting there. All right. Shall we say (laughs) aspiring? And if you're an aspiring millionaire, and let's just be uh, clear about this, we believe that financial prosperity and wealth is the key to having choice and options in life. It ain't about the bling, and we're certainly going to hear about that today. It's all about giving yourself uh, the best chance of success and satisfaction, fulfillment in life. That's what we're all about. And Mark, we are going to study really, I think, kind of the perfect book if you want to achieve that, right? That's right. And just to set our our sites on where we've been over the past couple of weeks, Mike. We started off with the Think and Grow Rich story by Napoleon Hill. And this was for me kind of like almost like a self-help book, wasn't it? It was helping you and I and our listeners rethink our expectations and our mindsets around money and finances. Then last week, we dug into Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which was a really good breakdown into, again, a kind of mindsets of practices around expectations on rich and versus poor. And then this week, today, Mike, we are getting into, once again, an absolute behemoth of a book full of interesting insights and data, The Millionaire Next Door, The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy by William D. Danko and Thomas J. Stanley. Mm, and this one, this one is an absolute cracker. I mean, it's it's very much getting down into sort of the habits of uh, wealthy people. It's getting into the things that they do. And I think importantly, Mark, the things that they don't do. Yeah, that's right. I think there's a lot of expectations that I certainly had when if I was asked, if you and I were sitting down and I was going to imagine a millionaire, I think there are expectations and visualizations that come up in my mind. And I think what's great about particularly this book today, The Millionaire Next Door, is going to help you and I and our listeners reset the way that we imagine what a millionaire could and should look like in order to help you and I and our listeners kind of achieve that level a little, little bit easier. Mm. And I think what's so good is this is the perfect part of the series. We've had very much mindset uh, from Napoleon Hill, from Robert Kiyosaki. It's really been been about the understanding this concept of assets versus liabilities. And today we're going to look at what people actually do, the hard work of building wealth so that you have choice in life. Um, so this show is going to be action-packed in not only how you should think about money management, but also some of the practical things that you could do. And I think what's really exciting, Mark, is you can use this both professionally and personally, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, again, the expectations that probably some of us have with regards to finances is it's only reserved for those with experience in the financial services industry, those who have training in tax, those accountants, or those with advisors. And the truth is throughout this entire series, and we'll really touch upon it today with The Millionaire Next Door, is you can take ownership and control of your finances yourself. You can do it. And I think that's a really empowering message that's similar to Rich Dad, Poor Dad last week, encouraged me to really take time to pause and schedule in my day, time for me to reflect on my finances and my money management in order to be a little bit more, and we'll get into it today, disciplined with regards mm. to how I think about my money. Mm. And what is also really cool about this book is that the authors studied over 290 different millionaires. They went into the data. They kind of did it Jim Collins style when he did Good to Great. You know how he builds these massive research teams. Well, both authors went super deep to really find the pattern, the consistency to the story behind why some people build wealth and why most of us don't. 
There are some amazing insights, um, all sorts of things about how they live day to day, how they think about what they buy and what they don't buy, um, how they how they have a whole series of habits. Um, you know, I, I really like it because I think it challenges some of our our assumptions about what it takes to create wealth. And I think what's so very special about this bookmark is it really shows that any of us can do it if we just take a very disciplined approach. So that feels like very, very moonshotty. And I feel like, Mark, we are ready to jump in. So where do you want to start our adventure into the millionaire next door? I want to hear from Dr. William D. Danko, the co-author of The Millionaire Next Door, actually breaking down for you and I and our listeners the science behind the book and how the validated recommendations and insights from The Millionaire Next Door came from research. Did you guys know going in when you wrote the the first copy of the book that um, you were bringing in a highly differentiated approach here, or did you just kind of stumble into it given your academic background? Well, I I wouldn't say stumble, but here's the thing. And any kind of research project, I mean, for example, I have an article that I'm very proud of with one of my other colleagues at the university um, in the consumer behavior area that took us 12 revisions and over a year to get it published, and it's only 20 pages long, but it's all based on solid research procedures. It's our interviews, it's our hypothesis development, it's our data collection, it's our interpretation. And so what I'm suggesting is that this is the same kind of mentality that is needed to create, um, well, the millionaire next door in this particular case. We had what is called convergent validity. You know, validity means truth, right? And when we have the convergence of various sources of truth, we had IRS data, we had Census Bureau data, we had paper and pencil questionnaires, we had focus groups, we had all of these various data sets that all converged on the basic truths that we wrote about in the book. Yeah, you know, it's so hard to to replicate something like that because it took 20 years, <laughs> 20 years of research to to come up with the 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 final idea of this is where it's all leading. So yeah, it, it is different than most other books because it has that substantial research background. 20 years, 292 millionaires were studied. And I I tell you what, Mark, I mean, if we have any aspiring authors listening to the show, I think we're seeing a clear pattern on what makes a great book for the Moonshots audience, which is they do the hard work, they do the data, they test and validate hypotheses. I think this is really sets us up for the show today because there are so many sort of paradigms that we can embrace about accumulating wealth, but also there are some very practical things we can do and and not do in order to manage our money more wisely, right? Yeah. And and I'd I'd build on on that by just saying it's also an interesting connection to actually accumulating wealth uh, over time. You know, the 20 years, it was a huge research project, 292 millionaires. And the end result is something that's entirely validated. There's no guesswork. The proof is, is there. Mm. So I think the lesson that we can take from William Danko and Thomas Stanley is well, hard work pays off. Mm. And I think the theme throughout The Millionaire Next Door today is all around it can take time. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. You can't kind of cheat your way there. It's all about doing one day at a time and the cumulative value after that period will then add up. And I think that is empowering because actually anybody can do that as long as you're very, very focused and disciplined as we'll get into in today's show. And hasn't that been this huge theme of the money series, how philosophical and how mindset driven your approach to money needs to be? This isn't just about dollars and cents, black and white. There's this whole paradigm around self-discipline, wise choices, not falling for for certain traps or the expectations of others. It has amazing intersections with so many of the other different areas of our investigation, doesn't it? 
far, far more than I was expecting, actually. <laughs> mm. I think, you know, we went into the money series knowing that it's something that's on all of our minds. And, and although it's not necessarily on our lips and not a lot of people talk about money, it's something that touches all of us throughout our lives and our careers, our families, our home situations. And I think what's been really surprising for me as we've been digging into these three books and learning out loud together is how much consistent thread and theme actually does exist from this mindset perspective. You know, mm. how you see your assets versus liabilities, as we found out in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the way that we see our money in Think and Grow Rich. I think these have been quite surprising lessons for me because it reveals the, uh, perhaps the, the challenge that I've had personally with, with money and how I think about it in the past, because I've, I've been intimidated by it, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think we all have that. And, and that invariably comes from just, we don't talk about money. We don't get, uh, uh, taught in the classroom. Um, you know, it becomes sort of some dark art, but Mark, let me tell you what is not a dark art. And that is our members. Isn't it exciting to see that since we've started, um, uh, creating our membership platform that so many people have jumped in and I'm so grateful for the support of our members. It helps us pay all our hosting bills. We desperately want to build this mobile app. So we need a lot more uh, members if we're going to produce a Moonshots app. Mark, as we always do, let's do a quick roll call and a shout out to all our Patreon members. Yep. A big roll call, drum roll, please. Everybody reporting for duty. Hello, our Patreon members, including Marjan, Yaniv, Helena and Mark, Byron, Tom, Dietmar and Ken, Majalin, Sandy, Niall and Bridie, Terry, John, Nils and Bob. Welcome listeners and members. We're so pleased to have you with us, not only every week, but every day and every part of the Moonshots family. We'd love delivering all of our listeners and members that lunar powered dose of learning out loud together. And Mike, we've, we've had a pretty busy time on the, on the Moonshot Master Series. We've, we've covered a lot of different topics. Yeah. So if you become a member, you actually get full access to our other podcasts, which is the Moonshot Master Series. So make sure you jump over to moonshots.io. We have another one about to drop. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Uh, there are 90 minute masterclasses on the big themes where we bring clips from all sorts of different experts from our 150 plus shows and beyond. So head over to moonshots.io, become a member because frankly, our conversion rate could be a little bit better, Mark, right? We have 40,000 plus listeners a month and we have 16 members. It's, it's a slow story right now, isn't it? <laughs> but we know, we know we can get this job done. So, so listeners, if you're enjoying the show, come on, become a member, sign up, get access to our Moonshot Master Series and know that we're exchanging value together. We produce this uh, podcast for you every single week. We never miss a beat. And uh, we only ask that if you have the means, come in, support us. If you're enjoying the show, it's like a dollar a week. It's, it's peanuts. So get in and support us at moonshots.io. And, you know, I think that is a brilliant uh, point for us to talk about some of the really important ways to think about money. And Mark, we managed to find a great breakdown by Millionaire Mastermind, which is a channel on YouTube. And they've done a, like a, a really good job of breaking down the core ideas in the book, The Millionaire Next Door. Where do you want to start when we, when we ask ourselves, how should we think about money? Before we get into the lessons and the practical tips that you and I and our listeners can start putting into practice today, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Millionaire Mastermind guys to introduce you and I to the theme of the book, as well as the secrets of millionaires within The Millionaire Next Door. Let's be honest, we're all interested in the wealthy, but what do you think of when you think of a millionaire? Fast cars, expensive suits and clothes, huge mansions in the hills? Think again. Very few millionaires will ever spend a lot of money on luxury items and supercars, 
They usually live in modest neighborhoods where the cost of living and social pressures of consumerism are lower. This book essentially splits everyone into two categories, underaccumulators of wealth, UAWs, and prodigious accumulators of wealth, PAWs. UAWs have a low net worth relative to income, and the opposite is true for PAWs. PAWs grow wealthy by living well below their means. These are people who do not fit into the stereotype of millionaires. They live in modest neighborhoods, drive practical sedans, and have blue-collar jobs, as opposed to the expensive lifestyle associated with the idea of a millionaire. On the other end, UAWs are typically well-educated professionals with high-paying and high-profile jobs, such as doctors, attorneys, etc., who feel the societal pressure to keep up with and reflect their social standing. These people will typically squander their money driving luxury cars and living in luxury neighborhoods. It is this lifestyle which causes them to have a low net worth because they spend most of their income. So how do the rich get rich? What's their secret and what do they do with their money? We all want to know how we can achieve even just a tiny sliver of their wealth. The Millionaire Next Door shows you the simple spending and saving habits that lead to more cash in the bank than most people will earn in their lifetimes. This book is essential to help you avoid critical mistakes on your way to financial independence. So, as it turns out, becoming a millionaire isn't the hardest thing in the world. It simply requires planning well, living below your means, and avoiding a few stupid mistakes. Two concepts there, Mark. Um, the UAW and the PAW, I feel like this does really go to the heart of the book, doesn't it? So shall we break down each of these uh, two acronyms? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think they help me as well as our listeners really understand what the perception that a lot of us have with regards to millionaires. So yeah. once we understand that, we can then break down how we might be able to achieve it. Yeah, so so UAW, uh, the book, The Millionaire Next Door, uh, prescribes as being someone who is an under- accumulator of wealth. This is the person that spends money on things that are not essential, but they are discretionary and they are often liabilities. So they want to um, look like they're wealthy, but they are not necessarily wealthy. So this is the UAW the underaccumulator of wealth. Now, what's quite interesting is that the pivot here is that the PAW, the prodigious accumulator of wealth, will often drive a much shabbier looking car. <laughs> it's probably got a lot of Ks on the clock. They may have a house uh, that is modest in a modest neighborhood and that they really do prioritize frugality over spending. So the, 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 the thrill that the UAW has on spending, the PAW, the accumulator of wealth, has the same excitement and thrill through not spending. And I think this is the key concept. And Mark, which ones are the millionaires? I think as we learned from the millionaire next door, they're actually the PAWs, the prodigious accumulators of wealth. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's really interesting that societally, I think, you know, we, we have certain attachments to things that say millionaire. However, the real truth that they found through the studying of 292 millionaires is that the authors of The Millionaire Next Door found actually it's the people that fundamentally don't spend discretionary money on lots of nice things. It doesn't mean that, that you know, that they're, they're living in, in like, like a little box eating beans and rice and uh, not interacting with the world. But I think fundamentally they don't fall into the trap of having and wearing and, and idolizing these uh, status symbols. In fact, the weird twist here is those that are millionaires don't look like millionaires, right? 
Well, I think this is a huge concept for us to wrap our heads around at the very start of today's show, Mike, isn't it? Because mm. what the implication of this understanding, this concept reveals is that nearly anybody who has a steady job, given the right lessons in frugality and discipline, can amass a pretty tidy uh, uh, fortune or investment portfolio or just even savings, really. Mm -hmm. And I think what's uh, important to then realize is, I mean, let's go back to the book title, The Millionaire Next Door. It's not The Millionaire in Beverly Hills. That's right. That's right. It's The Millionaire Next Door because all of us are going to be in, or the majority of us are probably going to be in pretty nice or, or you know, pretty common neighborhoods. Mm. And it could be anybody around us, given their job, given their focus, given their frugality, any of us can achieve that, let's call it um, title or, or status. status. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All of us can do that if we follow these traits that are broken down within the millionaire next door, because it's just... Uh, a lot easier once you understand those those concepts, those listens, and then you follow them day by day. Absolutely, and you know one of the the biggest things that strikes me about um, the message inside the book, the Millionaire Next Door, is it's screaming at us: don't fall for the trap that you you think you need flashy brands, flashy cars and flashy homes and flashy neighborhoods in order to be a millionaire. And what's really inside of that is this next idea that's in the book, which is do not compare yourself with others because that is the trap. That's how you end up becoming an underaccumulator of wealth. If you really want to have the mindset, and we'll get to the tactics and the habits later, but if you want to have the right mindset, you shouldn't fall into that trap of trying, you know, that classic saying, don't try and keep up with the Joneses. Play your own game, stand above it, stand beyond, you know, the expectations of society, chart your own course and build your own wealth, which is so moonshots, Mark. So let's jump in and listen again to Millionaire Mastermind talking about this next idea from the book, The Millionaire Next Door, which is to stop comparing yourself to others. You can calculate if you're not reaching your full financial potential with this simple equation. Multiply your age with your pre-tax annual income and divide that by 10. Whatever this number is reflects how rich you could be right now if you've already cultivated good spending habits. For example, if you earn $50,000 at age 30, your expected wealth comes out to $150,000. Now, take this with a grain of salt since, you know, it takes younger people longer to reach their expected wealth because of compounding interest. So for all the youngsters out there, don't feel bad because a six-year-old will have reaped the benefits of interest they get on their interest for much longer. But this is a decent indicator of how well you stack up and can keep you from becoming caught up in keeping up with the Joneses. There are so many people who appear wealthy, but in reality spend all their money on keeping up with this illusion. They buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. Try to get closer and closer to your expected wealth over time, not by saving excessively to the point that you can't enjoy life, but by avoiding spending money too much in the first place. Oh, this is the big one, isn't it, Mark? Because she's she's really talking about forget them and live well below your means. Spend less than you earn. I mean, that's it, isn't it? That that that's the key lesson. You know, obviously, our listeners, you can you can break down with that little formula that's uh, called out within the millionaire next door. But really, Mike, I think what what we want to focus on here is is that comparison piece. Don't, as you called out keep up with the Joneses. You don't need to buy stuff. You don't need to impress people you don't even like. I know. <laughs> what a trap and it happens, doesn't it? But, you know, it's it's funny, like this idea of you should run your, your, your personal uh, life, your personal money, like a business. And that is you want to spend less than you earn or said differently, live well below your means. And I think... The transition here is that if you can find the thrill in keeping a monthly budget and sticking to the monthly budget, 
This in the end is so moonshots because what you're doing is you're setting a goal and you're achieving it. And remember, like we've talked about uh, with uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, 1% better every day. If you can save 10 bucks a day at the end of the month, you're looking pretty good. And then you have the, the chance to follow Robert Kiyosaki's advice and invest in assets rather than liabilities. But I think every day, every week, every month, if you take pride in spending less than you earn, this to me is the essential, not only mindset, but behavior of those that are on the path to creating financial independence, prosperity, wealth. Maybe they will be a millionaire next door, but I think this is a concept that it took me way too long in life to truly get on board with like, right, I need to spend less, right, than I'm earning. And if you can, if you can like set yourself goals and achieve those, you might not be a millionaire, but you are somebody who lived within their means. You were disciplined, you had a goal, you achieved it. And that can give you the momentum for the next month to do the same again, right? Yeah, I, I think it's really around expectations, isn't it? And I think you're right. It took me a long time to also get into a good or shall we say better habit when I think about my money because you, it's quite tempting to end up in the trap of purchasing because you think you either deserve it. Mm. So, oh, I work hard, so I deserve an Audi or, or a fancy car or I deserve that big house or I deserve that liability, whatever it might be, because you think it's going to make you happy or it's going to impress others around you and therefore kind of feed your, your ego. Mm. And I think what's been really interesting throughout this whole money series, in fact, going back to think and grow rich as well as rich dad, poor dad is trying to change that uh, presumption that I think is, is inherent amongst a lot of us. And as we found through Robert Kiyosaki's work, we don't really get taught much about managing money. And I would, I would argue that the, the mindset that a lot of us have towards money, as well as this imagination of what a millionaire looks like, what they drive, where they live, is down to, you know, not having the ability to kind of talk about money that much, not really learn about money that much. And without having books like The Millionaire Next Door, it's quite difficult to then get yourself out of a particular line of thinking and then work on yourself in order to improve your financial standing. I think it's a really valuable call out that we need books like The Millionaire Next Door to kind of help us reimagine how we look at finances and millionaires in order to manage money a little bit better. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. And um, look, you know, the the big thing here is that if you can put yourself into a situation where you're truly and deeply focused on this idea of a monthly P&L, a monthly profit and loss sheet for you as an individual, you with your partner, with your family, just like you were a business. And to make sure that every month there's a bit left over and every month you put that leftover to work, not in liabilities, right? Where would Robert Kiyosaki encourage mm. you to put it? Put it into assets. Yeah, yep. totally. And then those assets grow over time and then you put a little bit more in and they grow over time and then do this for month upon month. Do this for year upon yes. year. Things compound, things grow. And this is really the start of the journey, isn't it? Yep. It's the start of the journey. And talking about the start of journey, Mike, I think we, we need to remind our listeners uh, about a little bit, something called the Moonshots Master Series. Absolutely. So um, as you know, you can become a member, jump onto Patreon, support us. You get the Moonshots Master Series. You can do all sorts of interactive things, but we want to make sure that the, the Master Series is available to everyone. So to start, we've just started publishing the Moonshots Master Series on the Apple Podcast app. So you can actually subscribe directly in the same app that you listen to the show on. For many of you, we know you listen on Apple um, Podcast app. I do promise you is once the, the Spotify allows us to uh, offer subscribed uh, podcasts, we'll do the same in Spotify. But for now, if you are listening 
to uh, this show right now on your Apple Podcast app, you can go in and type Moonshots Master Series and right there you will be able to enjoy uh, our Moonshots Master Series directly in the same app that you listen to the show in. So just go over to moonshots.io. You can get all the links to our Apple shows. You can head straight into the app and just type Moonshots Master Series and you can subscribe to the show there. So we really encourage you to get in there, enjoy the show, uh, give us feedback. And for all of you that do listen on Spotify, as soon as they make that available to us, we'll get it to you there as well. So wherever you are, Patreon, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we'll get you the Master Series um, it is really uh, another great extension of how we think here on the Moonshots uh, podcast, which is all about thinking out loud together, learning how to be the best version of ourselves um, and shooting for the moon. And that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty nice proposition. And along with our community and our Moonshots members and listeners, we hope to achieve that uh, every single day. And, and I think you and I, Mike, as well as all the Moonshots team, get a lot of kicks out of learning out loud. And we're, we're pleased to welcome so many listeners every week to the Moonshot Show as well. Totally. All right, Mark. Well, listen, I think uh, we've set the mindset pretty well. What happens now? Well, once you and I and our listeners, we've got our minds in the right place. We've now, I think, changed fundamentally our assumptions and visualizations of what it takes or means to be a millionaire, you know, driving those fancy cars, forget about it. Living in overinflated houses, forget about it. We're now really in the heart and the guts of really thinking about what it means to be a millionaire. Now we need to know, okay, well, how do we actually go out and achieve it? What are the lessons and the advice that William Danko and Thomas Stanley found when they interviewed 292 millionaires over the course of, Mike, 20 years. <laughs> they, are, they are patient guys, I got to say. Amazing, amazing work. Very, very patient, very, very Jim Collins. So we've got a couple of really big tips and pieces of advice from the millionaire next door. And let's start by actually reframing the way that we think about discipline. Most people think that the only way to become a millionaire is to earn at least a million a year. But even if you're one of the top earners in the world, taxes will eat away roughly 50% of your income annually. Then after you deduct living expenses, the cost of rent or a mortgage, and a few vacations, you might end up with just 200,000 if that. But if you truly want to be a millionaire, you never even have to earn near that much. Not with this rule anyways. The moment you earn more than you need to live, save as much as you responsibly can and avoid spending money on non-necessities. Having a good budget and living a frugal life is really all you need to build wealth, especially if you start young. Around 55% of all millionaires credit their wealth to simply being deliberate about their finances and having discipline when it comes to saving. Discipline, discipline. Well, listen, we could apply that to so many parts of the Moonshot podcast, can't we, Mark? It's crazy how these themes about money you could apply to so many other parts of your life. I mean, just to name a couple, we dug into um, discipline when it's about exercise, when it's about health, but also around the resilience, Mike. You know, when we were learning from Eric Greetens, Ross Edgley, discipline with your mindset being focused on the task at hand. Nobody, none of the moonshots individuals that we've really dug into, whether they're entrepreneurs, sports stars, uh, figures in politics, all of them have really communicated to you and our listeners that you've just got to be really focused on that end goal, whatever it might be. Don't let distractions or comparisons or ego throw you off. Mm. It's all about just really allocating that, that time and energy towards your ultimate goal. And yeah, I, I don't think any of us can get anywhere without being self-disciplined. And that's yes. again, a bit of a surprise as we're thinking about money. I think, yeah, yeah saving is a, is a pretty easy concept to, to get your head around, but really being focused and disciplined is something that kind of surprised me yet again, when we were digging into the money series and how important it really, really is. So uh, a, a great, uh, example of how you can get disciplined with your money is back in the, in the day, one of the best practices you could do 
is create uh, money envelopes. Okay. So this is before, you know, we got to kind of cashless and uh, contactless payments, but um, bear with me here, Mark. So, so the idea was that let's say your spending uh, budget for the month, let's say it was $200. What you would do is you would put $50 uh, in uh, an envelope and that's your spend for the week. And what you would do is not allow yourself to take money from the, the next week to bring it in to pay for something this week. Or if you did so, you had to go super frugal the following week. This is a really good example of just creating structures around you um, for self-discipline with money. Now, the interesting thing is that there in you know 2021, you can do the same thing. You can create... Um, all sorts of interesting ways to get yourself disciplined. I would say a couple of really practical things is run that monthly budget religiously. Like make sure that it, particularly if you have a partner or you have a family, that you should actually sit down and look at a consolidated how much did we spend, how much did we earn, and make that a, a monthly ritual. More specifically, you can allocate I know people who do this trick, that their discretionary spending is on a separate credit card that only gets allocated a fixed amount every month. So for example, going out, entertainment, um, restaurants and the like, let's say you had a budget for the, for the month of $500. That's $500 is automatically transferred to your spending card and that's the only card that you can use. And so this is a way that you create discipline around you. Here's another one, uh, Mark, that people do is in order to ensure that they work within their budget, let's say they have a savings of $500 a month. They have an automatic debit on their account for $500 that puts that money either into a savings account, which is separate, which doesn't have a credit card next to it, or alternatively, and even better, it routes that money directly to an investment vehicle that invests it maybe in a stock fund, ETF, um, and it happens on the first of every month after you've been paid so that you don't even have the chance to spend it. It's just simply not there in the account. Those are pretty good, don't you think, as ways of getting ourselves almost forcing discipline upon us. Yeah, I actually hear I think that's kind of a good word. You're forcing yourself into, you know, calibrating your, your finances of spending in a more appropriate way. That's a very, you know, habit orientated mm-hmm. approach, isn't it? I mean, yeah. for me, there was a long time that I would keep my spending on a different card. So I'd use a yeah. credit card for my big purchases. And then once a month, I'd, you know, obviously pay it off paid off in full when possible. And I use my debit card very, very infrequently. So all of my spending where possible was on a credit card. What I've actually adopted more recently is the other way around. So I started shifting all of my subscriptions, you know, Netflix and so on onto my debit card or into the Mm. joint account, actually, Mm. I should say. And suddenly what became quite evident to me once I had, you know, almost removed the invisible element of a credit that I would pay off at the end of the following month, Mm. it was more immediate. So I could see from a debit transactional perspective, all of the outgoings far easier. So by consolidating things, that that's what helped me personally become a little bit more disciplined because everything was in, was in one place. I'll still do big purchases on, on on a credit card, of course, but for these smaller things, they're now more focused into you know, uh, a, a debit scenario. And for me, as well as, as my wife, it's easier for us to budget because it's all in one, you know, almost dashboard that we then can plug into our budgeting software. Yeah. And I would say uh, a big thing there, Mark, is um, having somewhere that you can look at and see your complete financial picture. I, when I lived in the US, I loved mint.com. Uh, It's a great service where you just basically connect up all your accounts and you can see a consolidated view. Here in Australia, I use a different service called Pocketsmith, which is also very good. What those services do is if you want to talk about discipline, the first thing is you you just actually need to be able to see like, what do we earn? What do we spend? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you need to create these, um, these tools. And if you think about it, 
you couldn't run a business without a consolidated PL. So why would you think you could run your life without one? Right. So Isn't it's a really that good, true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, of course you, you, you need to do that. And what I think is also important here is it takes out all that second guessing because let's say you and I were chatting about, um, you know, you living um, within your means mark. And I would say to you, okay, what did you spend and what did you, uh, what did you earn? And you're like, well, hang on a sec. So I think I've got this over here and I've got that over there. That would, that's all, I mean, you're almost setting yourself up for failure because you're like, you know, if you don't have that consolidated view, you're going to miss things. And you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Actually, yeah, we did spend more than we earned last month. Oh, damn, I didn't realize. And that's the point. You've got to make it easy to realize where you are, right? Yeah, there's nothing worse than that feeling of, okay, well, where is where is my money? What am I spending? That lack of ownership is actually a surefire way to create anxiety around your money and your of cash course. flow. And, and for me, when I was younger, I was pretty guilty of this. It felt too stressful to try and get a, a, a rain over. You know, the horse had bolted, as they mm. say. My finances mm. were running away from me. And the thought of trying to consolidate it all was a little bit intimidating. So what happens? You put it off. Mm. You put it off again and again and again. And yeah. until you start realizing that the only way to control it is to take ownership yourself because nobody That's else right. is going to do it. They're busy right. running their businesses and their own finances. You, you suddenly feel more empowered. And actually the truth is by just doing that little bit day by day, taking that little bit more control of your finances, it becomes a lot easier. And as you said earlier in the show today, Mike, you actually get a lot of joy of from course you know, seeing that little pot grow over time and being frugal actually sure. becomes the reward in itself. Yeah. I mean, it's like a scoreboard and then, and then you kind of can enjoy the thrill of, of the game. So let's, let's just look at what we've talked about so far. I mean, obviously paradigm number one, you know, you live well below your means, you use your time, your energy efficiently to manage money, to get it all consolidated and don't fall for the trap of trying to look fancy and snazzy and all that kind of stuff. Be humble, be frugal. Um, you don't have to have the Lamborghini. Now, I think those are, those are huge ideas. There's really good practices about getting disciplined. The, the one thing to, to kind of close the discipline conversation before we get into the last few ideas one of the big breakthroughs that I've discovered is that when you have set a budget for a light item in your, your personal budget, what is critical is to understand what that looks like as a behavior. And an example I wanted to share, Mark, is like, let's say you've got a takeout, eat out budget allocated uh, for the month. And so my family, we, we have set a budget, uh, not only for the groceries separately, but also for takeout. And I can tell you, if you're living in a, any sort of Western modern city, you're going to find that food is like one of your biggest line items, right? Everywhere I've lived, everyone complains about the cost of food, right? Is it the same for you, Mark? It's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. Always so uh, so expensive. It adds up. <laughs> yeah. But you, you and I have both lived in London and like food is so expensive there, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. And again, it's too tempting because of the immediacy of it. Yeah. And then, so I moved to San Francisco. Guess what? Super expensive. Moved back to Sydney 16 years later after being abroad. Guess what? One of our biggest cost items are. I mean, I know families that on groceries and takeout are dropping two up to $3,000 a month. Wow. <laughs> so families, families with two kids or three kids easily blowing three grand a month on food, okay? Now, so here's the thing that I wanted to share. One of the breakthroughs that my family made is we translated our monthly allocation for eating out into frequency of either we go out and eat together or we get Uber Eats, right? So we know that if we want to hit our budget, we have allocated two nights a month, we eat out together, right? And we, we're going to drop a lot of money uh, for that. Even just for a, for a humble meal, it's very expensive to eat out in Sydney. But that it, we know is our cap, 
So what was one of the things that we did is that we learnt to make pizzas at home because we can do it for about the third of what it costs to go to our favourite pizza store. Now, we still go to the, our favourite uh, Italian pizza place down the road. Um, in fact, we did it just a week ago. But the thing is, it's much rarer now because we can enjoy a whole lot more pizza, save a ton of money than just getting the local pizza joint. So if you know the frequency cap, like food is a great example. I would say, Mark, like, let's say you love clothes. Well, what's your budget? Is it one top, one pair of pants a month? Just translate your budget into something very simple, a very simple target or a limit and stick it to that. Because then you don't need to worry about, will I become a millionaire? Just make sure that you only order takeout twice a month. Like to me, that's so, that's the key of the discipline. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I think one, much like we learn in the habit series, the thing that puts people off, you know, picking up a new habit is when they find it too hard to stick with. Mm -hmm. So I think from my own personal experience, it's quite difficult to really know what your cap is. How much should I budget on clothes per month? How much should I budget on food per month? I like your your family's adoption of a frequency rather than perhaps a, a specific number, which I think is a great tip. I think for for listeners who are thinking of trying to, you know, take more ownership of of their finances, I think a really good uh, practice to remember is just to test, test and learn. You know, set yourself for the month of November. Uh, let's say. Uh, $200 on clothes, let's, for example, if you find that you only spend $100, great. The next month you change your target to $100. You're just mm. saving another $100 within your budget. And it really, I think it comes down to just being a little bit brutal and honest and disciplined with yourself and trying to understand, okay, well, what is the absolute max that I want to spend? And then bringing it down from there in order to make it stick. Mm. You know, much like any habit, what you don't want to find is you start doing it and then you realize, oh, you know what? Uh, I forgot about that, that making pizza at home. I'm going to go to the pizza joint every Friday now. You know, you want to determine how to make it a, a daily habit, don't you? And making it mm. easy, I think is, is the way to do that. Yeah. I mean, it goes even a next step. So some of the things we do is we buy lots of uh, pizza bases and we freeze them. So there's always a pizza mm. base in the freezer, right? Um, like don't make it hard for yourself to stick to these um, disciplined budget structures. Just do what it takes, do the hard work, get it set up. And, you know, remember it's, it's not like a fad. It has to become a lifestyle. And if it can become a lifestyle, you're really going places. And it's really quite interesting if you think about this kind of financial awareness lifestyle, this money mindfulness um, so that you can create opportunities for yourself. It's really essential. And we've talked a lot about how often school and family environments, money is, is not really discussed. But another big part of that uh, sort of family context of money that comes up in this book is this really interesting idea um, that they talk about economic outpatient care. And it and it really comes to this interesting insight that the authors of The Millionaire Next Door have around the way parents and children relate to each other uh, with money. So if you're a parent listening to this show, um, it's really, really important to understand how you can create financial independence for your kids. And if you're someone young and you want to understand your relationship with your parents, uh, this next clip is, is really, really powerful in sort of framing a new way to look at it so everybody can prosper. So let's have a listen to Millionaire Mastermind talking about this really interesting idea in the Millionaire Next Door um, let's have a listen to this idea of economic outpatient care. This is what we call economic outpatient care. You know how rich kids typically can't handle their own finances and never have to worry about spending money excessively? That's what economic outpatient care, or EOC, is all about. As much as affluent parents mean well when they support their children with their own hard-earned money, the reality is it hurts their ability to handle money Almost half of all wealthy Americans sponsor their children and grandchildren with over 15000 a year, which leads to them having luxurious lifestyles which they technically can't afford. Growing up, I was never really crazy with money, but I know for a fact that I still didn't know how to save 
and grow my money until I started earning it on my own. Because that's when you truly see the value of a hard-earned dollar. The problem with regular EOC is that it eventually just blends in with your annual income, making you believe that you earn more than you do. The lesson to be learned here? If you have rich parents, don't waste their money. At least invest it wisely. And if you are a rich parent, don't spoil your kids. You really are doing them a disservice in the long run. Okay, Mike, this is good. This is a real practical tip for all of our listeners as well as ourselves, not only as we think about our kids, but how we how we manage our own finances. And I think, again, what's clear to me as we hear that breakdown of economic outpatient care is learning to manage money yourself by uh, uh, taking ownership, you know, rather mm-hmm. than relying on somebody else, whether it's your, your parents or your partner or your, your kids, even in, in some instances, I'm sure having the discipline and resilience, it, it, it's, it's a lesson that you have to learn by yes. doing it yourself, isn't it? It is. And it reminds me of what Joe Rogan says. In the end of the day, you don't want to win the lottery because you didn't really earn it. Like as nice as it is as an idea, he said, surely, you know, earning or, or, or creating, you know, a mere tenth of what you might win in the lottery is going to feel 20 times better because you put in the work. So when you think about what you can do for your kids, give them economic self-sufficiency and independence so they know how to do it. This idea of just parachuting money into them ends up, we've all seen it. People that have been granted sort of this unlimited feed of of money often end up in all sorts of trouble because they just don't have the means to manage the money. So it's it's really cheating them, actually. Even though you think you're giving them love and opportunity, what you need to do is you, you, you don't give a man fish, you teach him how to fish. And as we know, and our listeners know, that value of doing a job really, really well, working really, really hard, getting to an end result, whether it's, um, you know, uh, money or, or some kind of output feels far more great when you've done it yourself and you've put in the hard yards, doesn't it? Yeah, it really, really does. And I'll tell you who put in the hard yards, Mark. That's the the two co-authors of The Millionaire Next Door and one of them, uh, William D. Danko, we have here in our last clip. And he's really going to bring this whole story home for us. So let's all lend our ears to the co-author of The Millionaire Next Door, Mr. William D. Danko. What are the behaviors that those what are the behaviors that those people, what, what behaviors are most likely going to get them there? Yeah. You know, one of the problems we have in America and Western society in general is how pervasive advertising can be and how influential it can be. And you look at all these beautiful people, you know, in beer commercials or car commercials and say, my gosh, I want to aspire to be like that. I want to buy what they're buying. One of the things that we know based on the empirical evidence is that For every wealthy person who can actually afford one of those luxury items, the car, the house, the whatever, there are four to five non-millionaires or non-wealthy people buying the same product because they want to look like a millionaire. (laughs) See, and and this is really critical. So there, there is a group of people who can really afford to buy their helicopters and private planes and everything else. You know, I have a number of friends who can do that and do do that. And they are truly mega millionaires. I don't know any billionaires yet personally, but people with, you know, 20, $50 million net worth can live that kind of lifestyle. No question. But when you realize and and, and look at the, what is the median net worth in America today? It's about $120,000 per household, 120,000. That's, you know, current data to be a one percenter $11 million net worth will get you there. That's the lower end of the threshold to to get into the 1% category. And so when you have, you know, say $2 million, you're in the 95th percentile. You're in the top 5%. So when when you say, well, a million doesn't go as far as it it used to, well, then this is true. It's, it's, It's absolutely true. But we still have people stuck in this mindset that 
they're going to spend their way to wealth, <laughs> you know, and, and of course, that's the, the, the number one problem that's preventing them from becoming wealthy. You know, they want to create a lifestyle because they want to emulate others in their neighborhood. Don't spend your way to wealth to emulate others in your neighborhood. If there was a quick summation of the millionaire next door, Mike, I think William Danko himself is the perfect one to round out the show, don't you think? Yeah, I I, I think, you know, he's he's just saying, guys, don't fall for the trap. Just take enormous pride in accumulating savings every month and put them to work. Whilst that sounds insanely simple, doesn't it scare you that he says like the average American uh, achieves a net wealth of $125,000? I mean, if you think about a lifetime of work and they achieve that, you'll remember in some of the earlier shows we were talking about only 10% of people in the US are confident that they're going to accumulate enough money for retirement. Um, only a quarter of people actually have money when and when they retire. Like how like to live a whole life and to get to your later years and having not been able to achieve this simple rule of spend less than you earn, to live within your means, like it's so, I mean, this is a twist of life that there is this simple rule, but yet so few do it. Yeah. And I think as William Danko calls out at the beginning of that clip, it's because there are so many distractions and temptations. Oh, and yeah. Particularly with comparison, you know, going back to that earlier clip and actually going back to our, our series on Jordan Peterson. Rather than comparing yourself to others, thinking about what they drive, where they live, what they spend their money on, just focus on you. Are you getting better day by day? Who were you yesterday? Who do you want to be today? And having that, again, we called it out in today's show on The Millionaire Next Door, that discipline to say, no, I don't need to spend $60,000 on that car. And instead, maybe I'll go and purchase a secondhand version that's half the price or even less than half the price. There you go. Or just one year old, even you'll save a lot. Yeah, exactly. You can save quite a, a significant, you know, percentage of that total. And by then saving it, reinvesting it, it's going to pay off dividends in the long run. And I think that's where the, the insight for me really, really sings true. I think we all have a tendency to maybe just focus on the short term. What will make me happy tomorrow? Oh, it'll be a brand new TV, but that's a liability. It'll cost mm. me in the long run. Instead of thinking about that long-term goal and being frugal and thinking about how I can achieve a better freedom mm. rather than be attached to, to items. I think it's the whole money series going from think and grow rich, rich dad, poor dad through today with the millionaire next door has shown me quite a substantial amount of of tips as well as mindsets, Mike, that will help me rethink how I myself am looking at my finances. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I think the the important thing here is that what we've discovered is there is like this simple model uh, that applies across this series. One, Napoleon Hill is like you must be positive in your attitude towards rich, achieving riches and to, to growing. It starts with priming positive thinking. Don't be a victim. Then Robert Kawasaki, he's like, okay, guys, key concept, assets versus liabilities. Watch out for those liabilities. Those fancy cars that depreciate in value, cost you a lot in insurance and upkeep. Watch out for those things. And then when we turn our mind to the millionaire next door, it's the simple habit of actually spending way less than what you earn consistently over time, over weeks, months, years, and decades. This is the path. It is very stoic. It's very habit-based. I mean, it is so moonshots. Um, it's been just a blast to put this series together, hasn't it, Mark? It's been so surprising to me how consistent the threads and the themes that we've discovered on the other moonshot shows, how well they are connected into a space that for me felt very intimidating. A financial and money series could have gone down quite a, an economic, uh, financial, mathematical route. But what I've been really surprised at, Mike, is how much these mindsets 
disciplines, lessons and resilience have rung true throughout this whole money series as well. It's been a, a real pleasure digging into it. It has. It has. Fantastic stuff. Well, Mark, thank you to you. Thank you for taking the, the time. Thank you for building that tough, resilient attitude towards money. Let's get on top of that. Let's, um, you know, create opportunities and possibilities for us because that's true prosperity and wealth. And today, as the final part of our money series, we dove into the world of this great book, The Millionaire Next Door. And it was based on 290 two millionaires and how they did it over 20 years of research and that's why we know the following truths that the true secret to millionaires is that they are prodigious accumulators of wealth they are not wasting their money in fact their key mantra is to spend less than you earn to stop comparing to others and to be disciplined every single day and if you do this you won't spend your way to wealth But what we learned is that you can build your way to wealth and you can do that to create possibilities, to create options. And every single month when you meet your budget, you can feel proud and satisfied and fulfilled that you're actually demonstrating the discipline and the hard work to unlock the very best version of yourself. And that's what we're all about here on the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.